Well, first off, I'd like to say good morning to everybody. It's another Sunday episode of Crimson Flow Biblecast. This week, we're going to be continuing our series in John, well, the book of John, chapter 4 this time. I know last week we talked about the divinity the divinity of Christ, you know, just how important he was. And, you know, only through him can we see the kingdom of God. And we know it's through his blood that was shed on the cross. So before we get into this, I'd like to say a quick prayer, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to come in and give me the knowledge and the truth to teach you in this kind of a Sunday school-esque style podcast and let us pray father we come before you today and thank you for the many beautiful and wonderful blessings in our life and the ones that we may not even see from time to time lord we thank you for the advancements that have come this far in this uh, podcast we ask that you give your blessing upon it and lord we'd like to ask the holy spirit to come upon me as i teach so that all the words that I speak come from you and not from anything in my mind or my heart, but directly from you, Lord. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit comes upon the people that are listening, that they may understand what the text says in this chapter of the book of John, and that they know that it is your holy word and only your word that is being said. Father, we come before you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, continuing on, let's just go ahead and get started. I really don't have an introduction for this, but let's all remember that as we read through this, as should anybody uh, learn as they read, whether it be you listen to the Bible being read or whether you read it yourself, even pastors uh, you know, Bible teachers and everything, they should always learn from the Bible. Nobody on this earth is perfect and knows 100% of the Bible. And I think a lot of that is why it's called the living word of God, because you are always going to get something new out of it that you may have missed before. And there's always going to be something new that is, I guess you could say, discovered in the hearts of followers. Because... Nobody knows the whole Bible from back to front. Nobody, and, and with that being said, I'm meaning more of a spiritual sense. Like what it's supposed to mean, what God intends it to mean. I could literally, if I worked hard enough at it, and my memory sucks, but I could memorize this whole Bible. But would I memorize it in my heart? And know what truly is meant from the Lord. So let's get started in chapter 4. And it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So Jesus himself never baptized anybody. He would always have his disciples, his followers, do the baptizing. And I think this says a lot about him and how 
you know, just important he was and that it symbolizes that it was not just him that was important, but it was his sacrifice that was to come that had already been planned out from the beginning. That's what saves and redeems you. And it's not just him in the flesh, if that makes sense. Then it says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sachar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now that's relating to a story in the Old Testament. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, he was tired. You know, he'd been traveling pretty far. Because keep in mind, Jesus was a homeless guy. I mean, stop and think about that. A homeless man died for your sins. You know, I'm sure he had a childhood home. He grew up. Once he got of age, he started doing his father's business. Is what he mentions a time or two. And after that, he never had a home that was set. Because he knew he had to go out and preach and prophesy. And that was his job while he was here. And it all led up to his crucifixion. Okay. Of course, he was being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Now, we got to look back at this time, this time frame of, you know, what's taking place in the Bible. Back then, women were not allowed to talk to men unless their husbands were around. If a woman was seen talking to a man, I think at some points they could be stoned. Because it, if they were alone with a man and they were not husband and wife, I think it was seen as adultery back then. So let's go on. Let's kind of see how this unfolds here. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So it was also kind of like a race culture war that was going on right here. Kind of like, uh, and I, you know, I'm not trying to bring this up in a bad way, but it's history, okay? Back in the... Um, 50s with segregation and stuff like that you know this is kind of what it was going along you know and it may have been a you know not necessarily just a disagreement upon color but belief systems and we're seeing that today just because i don't believe the same thing you do you know it's like we hate each other which we're not supposed to be like that i mean even even people that's not faith-based you know that should not even be taught to you like how to act like that because that's just wrong it's immoral you know and i'm glad that certain celebrities and even even obama um he he came out and made a statement saying that like look you know 
just because we don't believe the same doesn't mean we should shut you down, berate you, or anything like that. So he made that statement one day, and I can't remember exactly what network it was on. But back to this, I don't I don't want to get into politics. This is this is a strictly a Bible study. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Right here, he's trying to tell this woman, you know, I know you don't know me because I've not been here long. But, if he's like, if you only knew who I am, that if you was to give up some water to me and risk you're everything, basically. It says, I would have given, or he would have given you living water. Or the living water. Of course, that's in Bible language. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? And drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle. And I think that's more of a question, like, like how great are you? You know, how, how big are you? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. He went spiritual. That's basically what it is. Like he, he says, I will show you this well of water that you will never thirst again. And it's, it goes back to an old saying I heard one time. With people, you know, they just can't find happiness. They can't find um, this peace, you know. And sincerity and just uh, what are the what do you call it when you're just happy where you are kind of like you're settled and you're just anyway the, the words left me but it, it goes back to that saying of they have a God-sized hole in their heart and it's it's a hole that only God can fill only God so, Jesus is saying here that this living water that I can give you, it will completely fill that hole. You will never thirst again. You'll never be hungry or thirst for that something that you've always been looking for in your life. And after that, he says, and with that, it will spring up into everlasting life. Meaning when that well is overflowed and it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing, you know in your heart that for eternity you are going to be with Jesus in heaven. Okay? And that's what he means by this. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, 
I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that sayest thou truly. He's kind of just questioning her because he knows. He knows her. You know, he, he's an all-knowing God. You know. So, he's like, woman, I know you. I'm like, why are you going to lie about this? And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Okay, I believe this passage right through here kind of just goes back to the idea of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, that's the Trinity doctrine. No, it kind of is, but it's not. You have to think of them as one. God is the creator, the father, the birther of everything. Jesus is the truth, the light, and the sacrificial lamb. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's in us that powers us to live for him like Jesus did. You know, we're supposed to be and we're commanded to live like Jesus. Well, the only way we can get that is his Holy Spirit. Okay, that he's the Holy Spirit is what really convinces us and you know it's kind of like that good angel bad angel on your shoulder but it's a big good angel and it's really just kind of directing you and it'll it'll change you so to speak and well i mean not so to speak it will i mean you look at all these people that have been born again and how they're completely opposite to what they used to be and i don't care what you say you cannot be born again and turn around and act the same way. You will not. God won't allow it. Because if to be born again means you have to admit your faults. You have to be convicted of your past life and want to give it up to God and turn around and be a totally different person in his light. That's what being born again. You are not the same person that you go down. It's like you, your old personality, your old person just kind of falls into a grave, a spiritual grave. And you rise up, paired up with the Holy Spirit, to live, to preach His Word, to share your testimony so that others can find too. Okay. Whew. Let's just keep going. Because we, we, you know, I can get a lot out of this. Because this is a very powerful story. And I've heard this story before, but I've never had it actually read it word for word. And then it goes on to say, and I probably should have read this when I read that part earlier, because it really just kind of ends it all and kind of sums up what I just said. It says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the big one I take that to mean is you to be in spirit, it doesn't always mean, you know, what the media or Hollywood's made it out to be. I I think it really just says you are connected with God. You are feeling his presence within you, out of you, you know, 
it, it almost, you know, I've, I've had this happen before. It feels like electricity is going through you. It feels like a cold chill that's not a cold chill, but you get tingling all over. Like from fingertip to fingertip to your toes. You know, science can say it's it's nerves all they want. It's emotional nerves, but it comes on a lot of times and you're not even really that emotioned up and then it happens and you're like, whoa, you know, this hit me because that, that makes you know it's God's presence. But then also it says in spirit and in truth. To be in truth worship. You want to worship in serving. Okay, and when I say that, usually when a word is first mentioned in the Bible, that's, or what's happening at that time and what it means then is what it means for the rest of the entire scripture. And by scripture, I mean the whole Bible. Because it is one big scripture, scripture pretty much. It says in... Abraham's day when he went to sacrifice his son Isaac because God commanded him to which that'll be a story for another day so that'll be kind of a cliffhanger for you if you don't know that story but he went, when he went to sacrifice Isaac it says it was his worship and you know we've got this idea in the church world today that worship is singing music dancing all in praise it, it kind of is. That's a part of it. But really worship, all it means is obedience. You know, so to worship in truth, it's like saying in a sense, I'm here to truly worship you, be obedient to you, and be like, how can I serve you? Instead of a lot of people and I, you know, I really hope that they, you know, change their ways. They worship for self-gain. Because they worship because they want that new job. They don't worship because he died for you. They don't worship because he was the, the person that's going to give you eternal life. They don't worship for that. They worship because they want something out of it. Greed, basically. And greed is one of the seven deadly sins, which makes absolutely no sense because all sins are deadly, because all sins are the same in God's eyes. But we call it one of the seven deadly sins because it's most common. Greed, lust, and there's much others. That's the ones I know right offhand. Um, gluttony is another one, I'm pretty sure. But let's just keep on reading and see what, what happens. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ when he is come he will tell us all things basically saying the Messiah is coming but she doesn't realize she's sitting next to him and Jesus saith unto her I that speak unto thee am he basically like you're looking at the Messiah right now and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman yet no man said what seekest thou or why talkest thou to, with her? So it was like they were met with such a calmness around him. And it was almost like 
They had no motive whatsoever to question his actions. You know, in the human world today, the most honest person can be caught in a room with a woman alone, even though that nothing happened and his actions will still be questioned. But yet here, nobody questioned him. And then it says the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Okay, that just goes and says, He shocked me by telling me part of my life that I had never told him because I did not know him. I knew not this guy. And all of a sudden, he's quoting my life to me. And then he tells me that the Messiah, he's the Messiah. So now she's going and, you know, telling these people, like, come see this guy. And then she's questioned, like, is he the Christ that we talked about that was prophesied? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat like what's he talking about you know like we didn't bring him nothing to eat did anybody else bring him something to eat because they see the human side of him they don't see the i am lord side yet like they they want to believe it they want to believe it so bad because they're already seeing miracles being performed but human nature says question 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 we have to see evidence we have to have ultimate evidence in order to believe what is being said you know like in court cases nowadays you have to have like 30 pieces of evidence just to convict somebody you know so even back then it was kind of like that maybe not as much because the technology wasn't as high tech and you kind of just had to go on hearsay and Jesus saith unto them my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work basically the Father sent Jesus, which is, it's hard to comprehend this because we're human. And I keep saying that, I know I do, but we are human and it is incredibly, almost impossible, I mean, oh, it is impossible to fathom the power and all being of God, an eternal being that has no beginning, has no end. That put himself, and that's why he called it his son, he put himself in flesh to not change the laws that was wrote in like Moses' day, but to teach, reiterate, and show the loving, sacrificial side of God saying I'm willing to do this for you just come to me basically and and it also stopped the animal sacrifice and all that other stuff that the Jews done with the Passover and everything even though some still do it today 
I don't know about the animal sacrifices or not, but I know in the Jewish religion, it is completely, completely abolishable to miss the Passover. If you are a devout Jew, if you miss that Passover, you're, you know, that's like a ultimate sin. And from what I've understood. So if I'm wrong, please correct me on it. Comment or whatever. Then he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. I think this is one of the beginnings of Jesus and all his parables. He he basically goes into story mode, but he gets his point across. You just got to understand the parable. Like, he's comparing these people to another. And it's like, he, he says here at the end, he's basically saying, you, you want to reap the benefits, but you did not work. You had other men work. And now you're wanting to enter into their labors and reaping what they sow. And in another part of the Bible, he, sa- he says, those that do not work or do- those that do not labor do-, do not eat. You know, so we'll get into that another time. And it says, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. That really doesn't say how much he said to her. All it says was how she had five husbands. But here it also says, he told me all that I ever did. Which makes me think that he instilled some more information in her that, you know, may have been irrelevant to the story. But, you know, she's like, wow, this guy really, really is who he says he is. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. So he stayed with them two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, 
for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Except ye signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down here, my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Now I'm going to stop right there and kind of iterate on a point. That these people that are coming up to him, asking for miracles, they are at rock bottom. They have no hope. And then all of a sudden they hear that Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, is here. And it's like their bodies are filled with so much faith, so much trust, that it's almost instant work from God. And we won't, I'm not saying we won't, I shouldn't say we won't. In this day and time, in our society, We've been taught to doubt so much and where Christianity is getting so scarce, like true Christianity, that it's hard for us to believe in miracles like this. And when a miracle like this does happen, they make a movie about it. Like there was that one movie... But that little girl, she had that issue, her stomach didn't work. Or like her valves in her intestines didn't work. Kind of like my son's, just did a different part. Um, a part they couldn't take out. They just kind of had to give her enough medicine to kind of let it flow like liquid through her. Like her, her stool and stuff. And then she fell out of a tree. Or down a tree. Yeah, it was down a tree. And through the middle. And a hit to the brain is what the movie said. I don't know if that was what happened in real life because it was based on a true story. Say, it, you know, caused her, all her nerves and everything to start working again. So stuff like that is happening in this Bible, like in this time period in the story. But it's happened in multitudes simply because people are so lost without hope that now that they know and believe. See, people were a lot more religious back then, but they were Jewish. So now that they had prophesied the Messiah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Jews believe that the Messiah is not come yet. I think that's what it is. The Jews believe that Jesus was a good prophet. They believe he's lived, I think. But they don't believe he was the Messiah. They believe he was a really strong prophet. Which, I don't know how that goes along with. Because, but then again, the prophecy, I don't think ever said anything about him. Uh, on how he would be um, crucified or anything like that. I don't, we'll get into that one day, maybe throughout this podcast and not this episode but another episode and we'll see how that goes but these people were so lost without hope that they found out that what had prophesied 
could possibly be here at this moment. They were bundled up with so much faith and joy that miracles like this are happening. Just because, like, like the woman that was um, had the blood trouble, and maybe we'll get to this in a you know episode or two. She had the trouble with the blood; it was a disease, and all she did was touch the hem of the garment. But because she believed so much that he could heal her in an instant, she was instantly healed. And there's many stories like this through Jesus's life. Like, she didn't even touch him. She just touched his clothes. But she had so much, fa- so much faith that she could touch even the hem of his clothes and would be healed, that she was healed. But, and I'm going to say this real quick before we get back into the scripture. There are things that you have to remember that God won't answer for. And one of the big things is when you believe in something that's going to happen, like you're asking for it from him, and you believe it so hard that it's going to happen, you have to remember how are you going to be able to use this for his glory and does it glorify him? Because our God is a jealous God. He mentions that many times. He doesn't want... Or he won't give you something that you cannot turn around and say, I give this to God because he gave it to me. Basically saying like you can't just like um, you say you got two cars, but you really want a charger. Whether that be the old or new, it doesn't matter. You can't just believe that he's going to give you a charger because that's not, you know, you've already got something. He wants you to be happy with the blessings he gave you because everything we get is a blessing from him and only him. He owns everything on this earth. And I think a lot of people forget that. You know, you may say Chevy built it. Ford built it. Yeah, but who created the Ford brothers? Who created Chevy brothers? Or if they were brothers, I don't remember. That was way back in history class. Everything on this earth came from God. So, he's he's not going to give you something that you're not going to glorify him for. But also, with that, you have to use it to glorify him. If that makes sense. Like this right here, I feel like he's given me this opportunity He's to, you know, purchase a microphone... I may I probably made a mistake in the microphone that I chose due to the fact of the type it is being a condenser mic and it seems to pick up a mouse's fart from across the country. So if you hear a lot of my breaths, I'm sorry. I try my best to stop and edit them out as I go as much as I can. Otherwise, I would sit here for hours trying to do this. But I feel like he's given me this opportunity to, to purchase this mic and this, you know, I've got a computer already. And I've got a YouTube channel. I've got two other podcasts. Those I have not posted on in a, in a few weeks. I've just not really f- felt led to say anything to them. Because I do have a full-time day job. 
and doing the YouTube videos, uh, mainly food reviews. Now, I mean, it was something else at the beginning. I'm just trying to find my groove with it. But it's all clean. You know, there's a lot of YouTube channels out there that you wouldn't want your kids to watch. But, I mean, you can, you know, they can watch mine completely clean. And I'm not trying to advertise with this. I'm just trying to prove my point. He's gave me this opportunity. I need to turn around and glorify him with it. And that's why I'm, I started this podcast. Is because I'm. it may be my third podcast and I may discontinue one of my other two. But I'm not going to let this one go. Because he's given me this. I need to turn around and use it for him. As well. And I feel like if I do that, he's going to bless me. Because I've given my time, my energy, and my money to him. If that makes sense. Okay, so let's get back to the scripture. In verse 52 it says, Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus had said unto him, Thy son liveth. And himself believed, and his whole house believed. It doesn't say believed in that last one, but I I added it simply because if you want a miracle to happen, you all have to be in agreement. Like the, a group of people that's praying, everything. We have to be in strong agreement and with no doubt whatsoever that God's not going to do this. I mean, like you can't have any doubt whatsoever. Everybody has to has to come in agreement. In belief and faith. And then verse 54. Our last verse it says. This is again. The second miracle that Jesus did. When he was come out of Judea. Into Galilee. That is. To me that's the second. Healing miracle. But I feel like. It was a miracle in itself. How he revealed. Or of course it was a miracle to this woman. How he revealed himself to her. But honestly, truly, it is the second miracle that he ever done, which was healing the sick child. And of course, we remember his first miracle, which was turning the water into wine. And I went into my spill about alcohol and everything. And I'll reiterate that. Be careful with it. I can't find a part in the Bible yet. You know, if someone comes to me and points a scripture out that says do not drink at all, I'll be glad to, you know, say no alcohol. Because the only thing that's going to change me is God's word. And and, and But, you know, I can't find it right now. And I may, I may. I have hope that this Bible will change me. I hope it does. Change me even more than what what I, I've changed already. You know, since I was born again. But that's the greatness of it. I have to be you have to be fed from the Holy Word. It's a different kind of feeding. The more you feed yourself from the Holy Word, the more He will come. And bless you and fill that God-sized hole.
But like I said, I've not found a scripture on it. But, but, you can never be an alcoholic if you don't ever take a drink. Because I believe Satan, or the evil one if you want to call him that, which he is, he will use that against you. He will be like, you know, it'll start out as, yeah, let's have a social drink. Let's have a social drink. Then it starts out having a social drink every month, every other week, every week. And the next thing you know, you're drunk at a Las Vegas bar. Not really, but, you know, I don't want to make that sound like I know that from experience because I've never been to Vegas, for one. And I'll be honest with you up front, I have been drunk before. Nobody's perfect. We are all sinners saved by the grace of God. So, I have a past. Everybody does. And I hope that this podcast episode has blessed you and made you come to understand more about what Jesus did when he was on earth, what he taught, you know, and we're going to keep going with this. We'll start chapter five next week. And it looks like from glancing over it, he talks about um, a bunch of other miracles like make the lame walk and stuff like that. We'll get into that. And it's going to be action-packed. I, I feel like, like I said, this, uh, this story of the woman in the well is a really powerful story because it's where he first revealed himself to a stranger, so to speak. Because John the Baptist was practically announcing him, you know, wherever he went at first. But this was the first time he announced himself to somebody that he was alone with. You know, she didn't have a husband, or she did, even though she lied to him. And, you know, that could be considered borderline adultery, and especially back in that time. So she risked a lot for that. Maybe she was, maybe she was that way. I'm not going to judge her. You know, it's not up to me to judge her. But it is an important story in this in the scripture. On how he reveals himself to her by saying, "Look, I know you've had five husbands. Don't lie to me." He called her out on her lies, and that hurts a lot of people when you when people get called out on their lies. And that would be the worst feeling ever. Just sitting here thinking about that. Getting called out by our Lord and Savior himself, like in person. Because, I mean, he convicts us all the time. Being called out in person, face to face, that would be the most humiliating thing ever. Yeah, I don't... I'd probably be putting an insane asylum after that. But, I mean, he convicts us every day of what we do, and we know it's wrong. And that's another point that I want to bring up. You know, somebody uh, asked me one time, do you ever stop being bothered by sin? And I heard a pastor one time, Pastor Greg Locke, he said, if if sin ever stops bothering you, you need to hit the altar. Because he, he preached a message one time, and he said, a seared soul, which is a soul that is seared, 
from God's anointingness in which sin has no effect on his conscience is a dangerous zone because then he feels no immorality to what he does. And that goes for men and women both. But I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, Like I said, we'll get back into this next week on chapter 5. Continuing the journey through John, we got a decent way to go. Um, just like to say God bless y'all, and I hope you come back.